it's really uncool to make somebody cry right before they're supposed to preach. <laughs> Thanks, man. Love you, too. Uh, you're the loyal love. I know what you're all thinking. That's not the real Gandalf. Um, sorry to disappoint, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's so fun to be here um, and see a lot of familiar faces and meet some new people. Uh, Jeff already kind of introduced me, so I won't redo all of that. But part of the reason why I'm here back in Texas this weekend is because we had the 25th year anniversary celebration of the Southwest Church Planting Network, which was responsible for starting RUF here at Baylor and then starting Redeemer here in Waco in 1998. And so that means that this is also the 25-year anniversary of this church. So happy anniversary. Um, that's exciting. And uh, what, a fun, what a fun day that I get to be here. I didn't realize that this was also like graduation Sunday. And I was thinking, wow, like I was, I was one of you guys standing right here as a, as a Baylor student becoming a member. And um, I think I look pretty much the same as I did back then. Um, not really. Um, but it is uh, it's super fun, super fun to be here. As Jeff said, I had the privilege of being a part of helping start one of those 106 churches that our network started uh, just down the road in Temple. Uh, starting in 2008, I was on staff here, and then we transitioned and started that church. And, um, and I'm thrilled that they just called their next pastor, um, RUF campus minister, maybe you know J.B. Wilbanks. So continue to pray for them. Uh, thank you for supporting that church. Uh, you may not realize it, but Redeemer in Waco was um, one of the prime movers in getting that new church established starting back in 2008. And then over the last year has helped sustain it after uh, their pastor left and went to Colorado. Um, so you've sent... You've sent Way and Colin and Jeff down there to help out with the preaching load over the last year, so thank you for doing that. Um, now we are, uh, we are in Golden, Colorado, and, uh, and I want to say thank you again. Thank you for partnering with us and helping to start a new church there and a new place to reach new people. You may not be aware, but Redeemer in Waco um, is supporting us financially and in prayer, and we couldn't be doing what we're doing there uh, without the support of you all here. And the reality is that all of, all of our ministry roots and connections are, are here in Central Texas, and some of those roots are, are deep and long, and some of you I haven't seen in like 13 years, uh, but we're, we're connected. Uh, one of my favorite trees uh, that grows in, in Colorado is the, the aspen tree, the trees you know, with the white bark. Um, and an interesting fact is that aspen groves are actually the largest living organism, and that's because uh, they're actually one single organism that's connected uh, by an underground root system. And they have the ability to send out roots and start a new plant, a new tree, 130 feet away from the parent tree. And so I feel like what we're doing, what God's called us to do in Golden, Colorado, is, is similar to that. That, um, that we can only do that because we're connected to this underground root system. And you guys are part of that root system. So thank you for that. Um, we are also still very much uh, in need of more ministry partners, prayer partners, financial partners. And so um, if you have any interest in praying for the work that God is doing there, um, we would love to include you on our prayer update email list. 
if you have any desire or ability to support the work that we're doing, whether that's $5, $10 a month, or maybe you're able to do more, 50, uh, we, would, we would love that. We are trying to get a large team of supporters to be connected and involved in what we're doing. Uh, we'd love you to come visit. We'd love for some of you to consider moving up there. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff didn't give me permission to say that, but, but it's a beautiful place and we need, uh, we need teammates up there. So Ty wants to go, that's great. Um, there's three million people in the, in the Denver metro area and there's very few churches in our denomination. And so what we're doing there is, is very similar. It's parallel to what we did here through Redeemer and Waco 15 years ago. We have a host church um, that was like our Redeemer Waco, and we've got a church planting network who is very eager to plant new churches, um, but, but the resources are, are fewer, um, and the churches are smaller, and most of them are new church plants, and so we're really dependent upon our connections uh, back here. So there are some of these brochures that are out in the hallway. Um, if you want to pick one of these up, we would love to connect with you. I'm going to be here. I'd love to talk with you about what we're doing, and uh, we'd love for you to pray about considering joining our team, but thank you for being a part of the church that is uh, supporting church planting. Um, Golden, where we are, has been described to me. Golden is on the, the western side of the Denver metro area, so connected to Denver, and it's been described as, as a wilderness for churches, a place where there's kind of a hole there. Um, but we've been super encouraged as we have gotten to meet our neighbors and get connected, and begin to form relationships, and I've even had people say, hey, can we go on a hike? I'd like to talk to you about faith. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with people. And God has gathered a couple different small groups, one that meets in our home, one that's at the church. And uh, at Easter, we had this group in our home, and we were having an Easter celebration, and there was a young couple that's got connected to us, a couple that had moved from Texas up there, so it's a model you could follow. Uh, but they, and they said... Um, they said, hey, yeah, we'd love to come. Would it be okay if we invited our friends who probably are not Christians? And I said, of course not. This is an Easter. So no, I said, that's, yes, of course. That is why we are here, please. Um, a couple weeks later, we were having the same group together. And we were talking about, uh, we were answering this question, you know, what, what would a Christian community look and feel like that you would feel like, hey, this is a place where I can and want to bring my friends who probably aren't Christians. And, um, and so we were talking about that, and somebody was so encouraged said, look like this. And I said, you know, why? What does that mean? And he said, like, it's people that, you know, that aren't pretending to be perfect, you know, a place where it's okay to be real and talk about, talk about our struggles, but also talk about Jesus um, and how he meets us in the midst of those. And so that's what we're praying, that God would continue to, to grow, that that seed would turn into a sapling, and then eventually then eventually a tree. But why even do something like this? Why start a new church? Um, why was this church started 25 years ago? Why would any of us consider uh, leaving our safety and security to go out into the dark places of the world? And that doesn't mean just mean moving from one city to another. For some of you, that might just mean leaving the comfort and security that you have in your social circle or the places that you tend to spend all of your time and moving out into areas where there is still darkness and there's the need for the light of the gospel. Why would we do that? 
Why is the church even here in the world? Well, this morning we're going to look at John chapter 17, and I think it's going to be on the screen, or if you have a Bible, you can look there. John chapter 17, and this is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer, and it, it takes place on the night before Jesus goes to the cross to be crucified and to die. And Jesus prays for his church. He's praying for us. And as we, as we listen to Jesus' prayer, I want you to listen to, to Jesus' desire for us, for his church. I want you to pay attention to some of the pronouns, how he describes the church, where he describes the church being. He's going to tell us why the church is here. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit long. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, but as we do this, um, as we hear God's word, I want you to, to consider it like this is, this is actually Jesus praying. I want you to hear and feel him, not just, not just these words, not just information, but hear that these are Jesus' prayer words for you, for us. So do you all, do you all stand? Yeah. Okay. Let me invite you to stand for, it's been a long time. You know, things change. Um, we used to have red hymnals when I was a student here. So I bought one of those in 1998. So this is John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that you are not a God who has remained hidden or far off or in secret, but you are a God who has revealed yourself. Holy Spirit, would you encourage us as we hear these words of Jesus and remind us that our King is on the move, that he is yet at work. Help us to hear and feel him interceding for us and empowering us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever wish that you could just kind of check out and go live on an isolated island somewhere? Maybe like, maybe like in Swiss Family Robinson, if you've ever read that book or seen the, seen the movie. Maybe without the pirates attacking you, but you could just go live in a big tree house. I do. Sign me up for that. Do you ever wish that you could just build a little resort and kind of protect yourself from the dangers and the frustrations of the world? Sometimes I think that, that the church of Jesus is, is tempted to do that. I am tempted to do that. When we, when we don't feel at home in the world, when we don't feel comfortable, when we see the darkness or the bad things out there, sometimes we're inclined to just want to check out. There was a movie that came out several years ago called Elysium. Maybe you saw it. It takes place in the year 2154. And the basic premise is that the world has kind of... Um, the world has become ruined and overpopulated, and there's two classes of people. There are the super wealthy elite who have built this pristine space station kind of up away from the earth but orbiting it where they can be kind of safe and secluded. And then there's the rest of the population that still have to live on the contaminated earth. And the people in the space station do everything that they can to stay separated so that they don't have to be contaminated. Several years ago, I visited a, another country, and there were various health and safety concerns. And so as we were driven through the city to where we were staying, we were taken through, um, through high walls into a compound, and we were told not to go out. And there were lots of things that we were told we couldn't eat and we couldn't drink, and we had to take all kinds of medication that kept you from sleeping so that you wouldn't get sick. And everything about the trip seemed to whisper, you're not supposed to be here. It's not safe for you to be here. And of course, there's, there's good reasons to take precautions, and we need to be wise. But sometimes, I think this can be a picture of how followers of Jesus, people like me, tend to approach the world that we live in, that we are inclined to, be, to stay separated because we're fearful of being contaminated. In The Lord of the Rings, um, which I didn't act in, but would have loved to, um, in The Fellowship of the Ring, the hobbits, um, the little halflings in Middle-earth, 
are on a quest to save Middle Earth by destroying the evil ring of power. And if you're familiar with the story, at one point after escaping these black riders, the hobbits make it safely to a place called Rivendell, uh, the realm of the elves, a place of peace and tranquility. It's really the place where you want to be. Rivendell is a safe place. But the ring can't stay in Rivendell. It has to be taken into the dark places, into the land of Mordor, so that it can be destroyed. But who would want to go into a dark place? I mean, why not stay in Rivendell? Wouldn't you rather stay there with the elves? I mean, even the elves in the story are in the process of evacuating Middle-earth, of getting on ships and sailing to the far side of the sea. Why not join them? Wouldn't it be more peaceful to just get on a ship and go somewhere else? But that's not the mission that they have been summoned to. And the reality is, is that that's not the mission that the Church of Jesus has been summoned to either. But why on earth would we ever want to leave whatever safety and security we have in order to go into the dark places, the places that are still in need of light? Well, in this passage, Jesus is about to leave his followers. He's going to die. He'll then rise to new life, and he's going to go to his father, but they are being left behind. And the question is, will they be safe when Jesus leaves them? Why is he leaving them? Why is the church, why are God's people still in the world? And how is the church supposed to relate to that world? What is our purpose here? What are we supposed to be and do? What kind of community should we be asking God to grow us into? And so this passage, this prayer of Jesus, helps us to answer just a few key questions that give shape to our sense of purpose and why we're here. What is our mission? So first, where does Jesus expect his church to be? And then how is the church supposed to relate to the world? If you have a Bible or a phone app and, and wanted to look in verses 14 and 16, we see clearly that the church, the people of God, they are not of the world. Jesus says, just as I am not of the world. And so the church is holy. It's separated. It's set apart. But what is that what does that mean? What kind of separation is Jesus talking about? Is it physical, spatial, geographical? And the answer is no. It's not any of those. It's a spiritual separation, not a physical one. Jesus is not telling his followers to stay away from bad people or bad institutions. And how do we know that? Because the location of the church is in the world. Verse 11, Jesus says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. And Jesus could have said right here, and Father, I pray that you would hurry up and get them on the next train out of here. I'm leaving. Help them get out too. But no. No, Jesus says uh, in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus is very specifically not asking his father to take his followers, to take the church out of the world. But the exact opposite. 
this would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to lay out the blueprint for a Christian subculture if he had wanted to do that. A place where his people could be completely isolated, insulated, incubated, removed from the world, but he didn't do that. Jesus could have prayed that God would keep his followers, keep Christians away from sinful people, but he didn't do that. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul's saying, look, I'm not telling you you have to stay away from sinful people because that would mean going out of the world. And Jesus very specifically prayed for the Father not to take his people out of the world. And so what that means is that the people of God, followers of Jesus, the church is not called to retreat. We're not called to back up, to isolate, to insulate, not called to separate from the world geographically, not to form a Christian ghetto, but rather to intentionally move into the dark places with the light of the gospel. So what Jesus is really calling us to do um, is to live holy, gospel-centered, grace-filled lives in the midst of the world. Holy, so separated, holy, gospel-centered, grace-filled lives, but where? In the midst of the world. What confidence could we possibly have that we would ever be able to do that, to be in the world and not of the world, to be in the midst of the world, but yet live holy, gospel-centered, grace-filled lives? And here's the answer. Jesus, Jesus has prayed for us, and he continues to pray for us. He asked the Father not to take us out of the world, but to protect us from the evil one. Do you believe that he's able to do that? Do you believe that God is really able to protect you from the evil one? Do you believe that God the Father is able to answer Jesus' prayer for you? Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, the gates of hell, can you imagine anything darker, scarier, more intimidating? That's like Mordor times a million. The gates of hell, and Jesus says, they're not going to win. You need not fear. The apostle John writes in his book, 1 John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the Antichrist isn't just a, a future thing. John is saying, even back then, the spirit of the Antichrist is already present. But listen to what he says. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What he's saying is, King Jesus is strong enough to keep you safe in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's strong enough to keep your children safe in the world? Jesus says in verse 12, he said, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. 
which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That means that if you are a Christian, or if you were to become a Christian, in Jesus, you have a shepherd who is able to keep you safe forever. He doesn't lose a single sheep ever, ever. He's able to keep you and protect you in the midst of the world. And that's where he's put you. That's where he's called you to live. The reason, the reason that Jesus doesn't isolate the church from the world, the reason that he doesn't just whisk it away is because the church is Jesus's mission for the world. The church is Jesus's mission for the world. Verse 17, he prays to the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The church is Jesus' mission to the world, for the world. That's his plan. That's his plan for bringing light into the dark places. And why? Because God loves the world. A verse that probably many of you are familiar with, some of you have probably memorized. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And in the very same way, for God so loved the world, for Jesus so loved the world, that he sends his church into the world. The mission, as Jesus says in verse 2, his mission is to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, all the Father has given him. And so that's God's mission. He sends Jesus into the world to give eternal life. And what is that life? Verse 3. Um, you guys are amazing here. Um, great job, I know. Um, verse 3. Knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life, is knowing God and knowing Jesus. Jesus' mission is to bring eternal life, which means people knowing God and knowing Jesus and the church is that mission of communication, and the church does not exist only for itself. We don't exist only for ourselves. The church doesn't exist only for those who already believe, but for all of those who do not yet believe. The church exists for those who, as of yet, don't know Jesus, but whom we're called to tell about the grace of Jesus. Jesus says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus specifically sends his church into the world so that people will believe that God sent Jesus and that they might come to know the love of God. He prays for people who will come to believe through the words of his followers, through the words of those who already believe. And so there's an expectation here. Jesus has an expectation and is creating an expectation that there will always continue to be new people coming in, that the church will never be a walled-off country club, but will always have permeable walls, that there's always going to be an inflow. The church is called to have a life-giving relationship to the world. And so what does that mean for 
how we think about the world. What does that mean for our approach, our general attitude? Oftentimes, our, our attitude and posture and stance are, are kind of negative, but our, our attitude and posture and stance should not be angry and condemning. That's not why we're here. Condemnation is real, but Jesus came to set us free from condemnation, and we're not the ones who bring that. We're here to love the world. We've got a mission, and Jesus guarantees that it will succeed. And he's actually our supreme example of what it means to be in the midst of the world and yet and not avoiding sinful people. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Mark tells us that as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Just pay attention to that. Many tax collectors, many sinners were hanging out with Jesus. And his, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the reality is, is that Jesus lived in the world with us. He got dirty with us, though never sinning. And then he died for people like us and for our sins. And he calls his church to be in the world not of it, but for the world. And so practically, what that means for the people of God to be in the world, not of it, and yet for it, is, is that we will be engaged in, in every area of society around us, that we'll be involved in culture, in government, in education, in the arts, the trades. It means that the Christian mission extends beyond the walls of the church, as you all clearly know and model Jesus, he lived, he ate, he worked, he partied, he had real relationships with people regardless of their present beliefs and lifestyles. Think about this. Jesus regularly hung out with people who didn't believe in him or who he was or what he came to do. But these were the people that he came to love, to serve, and to rescue out of the world. And so Jesus calls his followers people like us, people like you, also to engage with the lives of other people who are presently still in the world. If you're here this morning and you're, you're exploring Christianity, you're investigating, you're skeptical, you're doubtful, maybe you've been burned, welcome. This is a, a safe place for you to investigate Christianity, to explore who Jesus really is, to be welcomed, to be convinced that God's love is what sent Jesus into this world to rescue you. It's a place where you can bring honest, honest questions and expect to get honest answers. But how will people be convinced that all of this is true? That Jesus is who he says he is? Jesus prays in verse 21, for those who believe to be one and to be in us, why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus is saying is that our unity is part of our witness to a watching world. That the church is called to have a unity that is so countercultural that it can only be explained by Jesus. The church is 
supposed to be a place that when people look at it, they see people who look different from one another, speak differently from one another, maybe vote differently from one another, have different ideas about lots of different things, and yet are connected in real relationship, in real love for one another. And people will ask, how is that possible? Why is that the case? And the answer, the only answer should be because of Jesus and the gospel. That's the only thing that unites people together. When people look at the church, the one flag that they should see flying above everything else is Jesus and the gospel. So thank you for flying that flag so high and keeping it flying. What will enable us to do that, to live like that? I'm inclined to be critical and even condemning. Um, what is it that will enable us to not always be looking down in condemnation, but more looking out and reaching out in order to welcome in? What would, what would enable us to do that or motivate us to do that? Here's the answer. You'll only do that. You'll only be free from your constant condemnation of others who don't have it all together and want to welcome people in when you are deeply convinced yourself that Jesus really loves you. That he really, really wants you with him. That he doesn't just tolerate you, put up with you, because you do your duty and you pay your dues. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has a radical, grace-motivated love for you that you don't deserve, but that you can't get away from. He wants you with him. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me. That's what he really longs for. He wants you with him. That's why he came. In fact, that is the promise a covenant promise that runs through the entirety of the whole Bible. The whole story of the Bible is God's promise. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. That's what the whole Bible is about. Is God doing everything necessary, moving heaven and earth so that he can live in the midst of his people. It may be, it may be that even this morning, as you're hearing God's word, as you're hearing Jesus' words, he's calling you to trust him, to believe in him, maybe for the first time, to believe that his welcome really is free, that he really did everything necessary through dying on a cross to pay for your sins in order that you could be with him where he is. After Jesus prayed this prayer, he got up, he went with his disciples into a garden, and one of his close friends, one of his followers, Judas, betrayed him, and he was arrested and crucified. He died on a cross, but three days later, after being buried, he rose again to new life, and John tells us at the end of his gospel now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so Jesus invites you, no matter who you are, to come and to be loved. To come and experience the love of a father. Isn't that what your heart really longs for deep down? To know the, the true and unconditional love of a father who welcomes you, who wants you with him where he is? Jesus invites you to trust him. And when you do, you have the, the sure hope that you will be with God forever. Yesterday, the United Kingdom uh, coronated a new king. It's a huge event, significant event. And we don't have a king in our country, but if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a part of the church, you have a king. We have a king who is reigning and ruling right now, and King Jesus is yet on the move. The reason that a new day dawns, the reason that the church is still here, the reason that we wake up is because King Jesus is as yet still at work gathering a people to himself, calling people out of darkness into his light. And the means by which he does that, the mission that he has placed into the world is, is the church, which is why we need to start new churches, which is why we need to move out into the dark places, to go out carrying the hope of the light of the gospel. So let's, let's strive together to make our communities places where the gospel is both beautiful and believable and pray that God will continue to draw people into his light. Thank you for carrying the torch for 25 years. May God continue to use this church as a beacon for the gospel in Waco and beyond. Let me pray for us.